What's worldliness? Somebody, where, are, we, are we supposed to stay away from being worldly? What's that mean? What is worldliness? Anything opposed to God? Okay. Is that it? Go ahead. Anything opposed to Christ? Okay. If somebody asked you to define it, what would you think? Any other additional thoughts? I'm sorry? Conforming to everything that comes down the pike? Okay, I didn't hear your first word at first, but conforming to it. Good, uh, good explanations. I mean, good, good observations. It's that whole idea of letting something become a major focus in your life rather than God. Um, let's ask this question. Can Christians become worldly? Do you have Bible proof for that? In the sense that what I'm saying, any Bible examples of believers who became worldly? Lot, isn't that amazing? Okay, why did you say Lot? Because it's the passage we've opened to. Okay, any other Bible Bible characters that you can say they were worldly? Who'd you say? Prodigal son. Okay, prodigal son. Who? Ananias and Sapphira being caught up with money rather than Demas. In fact, it even says in Second Timothy, having loved this present world, he has forsaken me. Okay, Judas is definitely the case. Yeah. Samson, the Old Testament. Would you agree Samson's worldly? Okay. David in his one episode, even though he's a man after God's own heart, does he have a flair for worldliness at one point? Sure. Would you say somebody said somebody else? Solomon? Okay. Okay. Uh, what's that? There was the moments that it happened. I just listed off, just off the top of my head, just some real quick ones. Uh, Gehazi, remember Gehazi? Remember the story? That the, this is with the, um, what's the general? Um, with the leprosy. Dip himself several times. Okay, and then he's going to pay Elijah for the service, and Elisha says no, but Gehazi runs afterwards and says, we'll take it, we'll take the money, and then he hides it, and then he ends up with what? He ends up with the leprosy. Uh, the Corinthians, I could not write unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, okay? Uh, you have Demas, as you've already mentioned, the church of Laodicea, you are neither hot nor cold, but rather lukewarm. And so we have those, those many different examples that you mentioned as well. What are the dangers of worldliness? We're supposed to stay away from it, but why? What are the dangers? It ruins our testimony. That's a good reason. Anything else? Takes us away from fellowship with the Lord. Uh, if any man loves this world, the love of the Father... Yeah, it's definitely not the lifestyle of a, of a believer. Any other reasons? What's that? Can ruin our lives? Okay, can we stumble others with it and hinder them? Sure. Again, we can just, we can just put down all kinds of thoughts here, but we're going to see it really portrayed this evening, okay, that this worldliness is a very subtle thing. It comes in many times, not when we're, okay, I'm, okay, I'm planning to be worldly. It usually creeps in. Just kind of like that cancer on your car, you know, that rust. It kind of just shows up a little bit at a time until all of a sudden you realize, hey, now I've got a big spot here. The classic example is found of in the story of Lot. Okay, Genesis 19, we're just going to highlight a few things about Lot and be challenged. And unfortunately, uh, this is not one of those messages that are preaching to say, okay, this is a big group of, of worldly people, so we'll preach revivalistic because most everybody in this room needs to walk an aisle. That's probably not the case. And yet, how many of us are in danger of this happening to us? 
or becoming, every one of us. And so there's some real value here to look at it. But before we talk and read the passage, let's figure out again, what do we know about Lot up to this point? He was introduced into our study in the life of Abraham when he and Abraham, with Abraham's father, they left Ur of the Chaldees and then they go to Haran and then they're in Haran for a period of time. And when Abraham's father dies, Terah is his name, when he dies then God has Abraham move even further into the what we call the promised land. He um, ends up living there with Uncle Abraham. They're sharing the, the area, the fertility of the land, and things are going really good. But then remember Lot's men and Abraham's men, they start having conflicts because they both have so much that there, there's pressure about the water, the, the um, crops, whatever that, that they would be providing. And so uh, what happens is <coughs> Abraham gives Lot first choice, where do you want to go? And it says he looks to the plains of Jordan and he sees that they are well watered and fertile. And so he moves that direction and as the passage says, it says he moves towards Sodom, which is a very, which people were a very wicked sinners before the Lord. And so that's the last we read about him for a period of time after traveling with Abraham, living with Abraham, until a few years go by and we read about Lot again. Lot is in Sodom area. The city is ransacked by marauders. They take Lot and his family and all the people of the city and their captives. Abraham comes to their rescue with his people. They beat those five marauding lords, kings, and he frees all the people when they get back to Salem. That's when he meets Melchizedek and they want to reward him. And so Lot's in that story just mentioned hither and to until we come to chapter 19. When we come to chapter 19, this is his story. It's not so much about Abraham, it's about Abraham's nephew Lot. And what we find out from Lot is some amazing and I find, I don't know about you, when I read this, I am shocked by some of what he does. But then again, sometimes when we look at the mess that we can create in our own lives by decisions we make, I am shocked by how dumb we can be in making problems if we're not careful. And so in Luke, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 19, let's pick up the story. The last we have heard, Abraham was talking to the angels that were headed for Sodom. He prayed that if there be how many righteous people, the cities would be spared. (coughs) Prayed it from 50 down to 10. And so then the angels moved forward, and we pick up the story of where they're coming into the city of Sodom in chapter 19. There came two angels to Sodom at evening time, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, into my place, and tarry all night. I'll wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go your ways. And they said, No. We'll stay out in the street all night. We don't want to inconvenience you. He pressed upon them greatly. They turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both the old and the young men, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said to him, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out that we may know them. And the know we all understand. We're talking what? homosexuality. We're talking physical intimacies that were going to take place. It's that type of knowledge. Not just that they want to shake their hand and say, hello, how are you doing? My name is so-and-so. 
Okay. Um, and Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And he said, I pray you, brethren, don't do this wickedness. He, he understands how bad it is. Behold now, I have two daughters which have, they're virgins, they have not known a man. Let me, I pray, the, pray you, bring them out to you. You do it to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will now be our judge. Now will we deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men put forth their hand, that's the angels, and pulled Lot back into the house to shut them, uh, to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door with a, uh, of the house with blindness, both great and small, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And these angels said unto Lot, have you here any besides, son-in-law, sons, daughters, and whatsoever you have in the city, bring it out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Lot went out, spake unto his son, son-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons and the uh, sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take your wife and your daughters, get out of here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, hmm, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the, the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. And the Lord, being merciful unto him, they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for your life. Look not behind you, this is the angel speaking. Uh, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Not so, my Lord. Be no, behold now, your servant has found grace in your sight, and you have magnified your mercy, which you have showed unto me and saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. If you stay in the city, you will, you will die. I mean, it, it, does any of this amaze you? His reason. Let's go a little bit further. And he says, Behold now, this city is near to, the, to flee unto. It's a little one, talking about Zoar. And let me escape hither, and my soul shall live. And the angel said to him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow that city for which you have spoken. Haste, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till you come into that city. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord reigned upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, before the Lord out of the heavens. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became we all know the story pillar of salt and Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord Okay, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and behold the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain oh he didn't stay where he thought it would be safe and his two daughters with him for he feared to dwell in Zoar and he, why? why did he fear to dwell in Zoar? Yeah, don't you, don't you think that we've already read about these cities, that all the cities on the plain of Jordan were wicked? Zoar is probably contaminated by the same wickedness, okay? And what do you think the reception Lot got when he said, well, God told me to flee out of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? So he flees for his life, and he, then, then the, we'll get to the episode of his daughter. Very, very, 
Here, here's what we know about Lot. Okay, here's the one lesson. If we look at this lesson, this passage, should scare the willies out of us. That we look and say, okay, we've got to be careful of becoming worldly, to become tainted by it. Um, today, we sent out a note. And we, we sent out informing, because we didn't know who was in the nursery and who wasn't, and sent out notes saying that there was a possibility of a case of RSV. Am I saying that right? the right letters in the right order, gave just a respiratory infection that was very contagious. And so our immediate idea that this could be something very contagious because of the nature of it was warn everybody who could have had a child there, make sure you let, you know, you're aware of it, and then do, what do you think we did here? disinfected everything. Why? Because there was something that could contaminate. We wanted to make sure everything was up to speed. We got worldliness that can press into our lives. We should respond quickly to say there's a danger to it. Now there's a reason why we should respond, why we should run, why we should disinfect. And there's three reasons why. Number one reason in your notes goes this way. Because it can occur in the life of good people, good godly people. Lot, if we look at Lot's life, okay, Lot is he a believer or isn't he a believer? He doesn't act like one. How do we know he's a real believer? Anyone want to interject? Well, how do you, where does the Bible say that? Okay, he's part of Abraham's house, but does that make him an, uh, an actual believer? Okay, he's going to be a part of that Genesis 18, verse 12, 19, that he would have been taught but there is a New Testament passage. It's in Second Peter that says, righteous Lot, okay? He delivered just Lot, vexed from the filthy conversation of the world. The word that is used in the New Testament to describe Lot is just or justified. It's the word for righteous, somebody who is what? Saved. And we're talking in this instance, we're not talking about somebody who is, you know, necessarily in tune and in fellowship, but we're talking about somebody who is positionally born again. Can somebody be saved and be carnal? Yes, they can. So they can be positionally, they can be, they can be born again, saved yet so as by fire, but they're saved, okay? And so the, here he is positionally before the Lord, he's born again, judicially, uh, in that sense that God has saved him, but is he in close harmony with the Lord? No. But is he in a relationship with the Lord? You know how that goes with you, you, you and your family. Somebody might have the blood relationship, but that doesn't mean you're real tight with them. And so we're talking about a blood relationship that was established through, through faith, and yet he's not real tight with God. He's not in good fellowship, but he has a relationship. He is called just. So we know that Lot was a saved man. We know as well he's a very generous man. He's a kind man. As soon as he sees these men coming, he approaches them. He doesn't wait. You know how sometimes people come in, you're not sure if they're a stranger or not, and you kind of just, oh, I'll stand by the wayside and kind of look, and we'll, we'll see if we watch them a little bit. Lot would have been one of those who would have went to the front door, met the people, shook their hand, and welcomed them. So he's a very uh, outgoing individual, a very friendly individual that most of us would admire the friendliness, and we would appreciate that. What else do we know about him? He's very civic-minded. He's in the gate. There's a reason he's in the gate, and later in the text he is called a judge, because in Bible days, where did you hold um, town hall meetings? At the gate, okay? That's where the judges would sit. And so here he is. He's an individual who has risen up within that community to the point that he's civically involved. He's very hospitable. He's very friendly. What else do I know about him? He's got a family. 
he's concerned about his family to some degree. In verse 14 that we read, when he is told to get out of the city, he's told, tell your kids. Verse 14, he is, went out and he spake to his sons-in-law, to the daughters, and he, look what he says, up, get you out of this place, the Lord's going to destroy it. So he's got a concern for his family in that regard that he wants to help them out. He wants to protect them. And right away, what are you thinking about the negative of his family? How does he... He offers his two daughters. Just... Do you find that disgusting? I'm a, yeah, and it's one of those... Is it one of those stories in the Bible you go, really, that's in the Bible, something that vulgar? Okay. We're going to get to it, why he did it, okay? But what our point is at this point is that he's a man who is afflicted and affected by worldliness, but he's not a type that went looking for it in the sense of saying, okay, I really want to be worldly. I really want to be evil. He's the kind kind of guy. He's the generous kind of guy. He's family-oriented, and he's an individual who does have some religious background. Okay, in the sense that, remember, he did move. He left his homeland where he grew up. He left family. Abraham, according to the Genesis 18, 19, when the angels were visiting and telling Abraham there's going to be this destruction, we know that you will inform your family. If that is true, that Abraham, as God speaks to him and says, I know that you will tell your family uh, about all the different things that have been shared with you, then surely Abraham had shared some of the revelation he's heard before. He would have have seen Abraham worshiping. He would have been a part and parcel of those times when Abraham had built the altar and then those with him worshiped. And so Lot is an individual, even as we mentioned already, who is a saved person, but he's gotten worldly. And in, in, his, in his fall, um, it is amazing. It's amazing how far he goes. So what lesson I learned is be careful of worldliness. Why? Because any one of us can be afflicted. It doesn't make any difference what our age, what our occupation, what our background, how much Bible we know or don't know. We can be afflicted by this period, by this idea of loving more something that is here in the world than keeping our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a dangerous, slippery slope that we can fall into. Let's give you a second reason of why to beware of worldliness. Number two from Lot's example. It affects the decisions we make. Good people who intend to do right, oh man, we start dabbling with that worldliness and all of a sudden our decision making can be affected in a very adverse way. In his case, all of a sudden, this bite, this, this mosquito that infected him was all about money. Back in chapter 13, let's go back there for just a second. In chapter 13, it says and tells us why Abraham directed his attention towards that area. In chapter 13, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. This is when he and Abraham are saying, okay, we got to part ways. This area can't handle both of us. And Abraham says, Lot, you're younger, I'm older, but I'm going to give you first choice, which was Really commendable on Abraham's part. He lifted, Lot lifted up his eyes, beheld the plain of Jordan, and what attracted him was it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like in the land of Egypt, as you come unto Zoar. And Lot chose him all the plain, and Lot journeyed east, they separated themselves. And Abraham stays in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Is there anything evil about looking and saying, I want to have good crops for my cattle? No, no. 
what makes this, you know, where does this come where we say, okay, he is, he is putting things ahead of virtue. How do you know that from what we just read? Where in what we just read, or right in that section, where does it give any indication that he's making, he's putting possessions far above purity? So, so, yeah, 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 I didn't read the rest of the next part. I stopped purposely. You knew that, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, Look at the next phrase. He gives us information. He says, but the men of Sodom were what? They were wicked and and sinners before the Lord. And not only were they wicked and evil, but what's your Bible read? What's the last word? I have a King James. Exceedingly wicked. So, So what is he doing? Is it wrong for you to say, I've got possessions of animals and, and vehicles, and I'm going to make sure that they're well watered? That's not the evil part. Except for here, the evil part is, he is doing that at the expense of putting himself in the place of wickedness. He's exposing himself and his family, to real moral wickedness. That is well-known. And so it's not the idea. Is it wrong to want to make good money? Yes or no? No, no. Is it wrong to want to have a nice tent? Okay, a house. Okay. No. Is it wrong to have a nice car? No. But where does it become wrong? When we say those possessions, I want them so bad, I will sacrifice purity. I will put myself in a dangerous position just to get ahead. For, for instance, okay, and this isn't the, the worst of things, but can it be one where somebody says, I want to make so much money, I'm going to work overtime, and if it means that every Sunday I'm going to work overtime, I'm going to work overtime. Is there a dangerous thought pattern there? Yes, because all of a sudden what's happening? I'm putting those finances and those gains ahead of... Worship, and I'm making myself in a vulnerable, putting myself in a vulnerable spot. Okay, I want to make enough money, and um, a way I can really make a lot of money is what I could do is I'm not going to participate in it, but maybe I could sell drugs on the side. And we would all say, that, that, What kind? What kind? <laughs> illegal drugs. Illegal drugs. Okay. Prescription drugs that are illegal. Um, you know, whatever the thing. I, I want to do something to the point that I'm going to put myself in a morally compromising situation. We would say that's wrong. That's where he's going. That's where he's affected. And by the way, can believers, can any of us get affected this way? Can the cares of this world pull us into areas that we shouldn't be? Yeah, so we've got to be careful, okay? It doesn't mean that those things are wrong, but they can become a problem. I mean, think again, Gehazi serving the prophet, but he, he got that taste of that gold, and he wanted it. You mentioned Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted that taste of that wealth and that popularity and that prestige, so they compromised their honesty and integrity. You think of Demas. You've already, I think, Jeremy, you're the one that mentioned it, that he had gone aside. Galatians 3 warns us, covetousness is idolatry, worshiping something more. And we read passages like Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what about the things that we need 
they're going to be taken care of. And so we have those promises. Here's another area that, it, that we're affected. Okay? In Genesis 19, it often results in seeking after popularity or the approval of others. He's gotten himself into this city. Okay? And part of the reason he wants to be in the city or he's going to end up in the city is because of the influence, because of the popularity. And so he's getting around, he's living with them. They don't end up liking him, but he's compromising in a way so that he can be there and he's in that city and he's well known and he's respected. Do people ever give up personal integrity for the sake of being popular? Yes. Can it happen at work? Yes, got to be careful, got to be, be careful. Again, it's not wrong to honor people. Give honor to whom, okay? It, it's not wrong to praise somebody, but it's wrong when the Scripture says, let another praise you and not with your own mouth, okay? So there's the right and wrong time, and again, not being commended, that's not what we're saying, that that's wrong. But when we are seeking the approval and the accolades of ungodly people by putting ourselves in ungodly positions. That's so dangerous, so dangerous. It talks about, in Genesis 19, here's the most obvious. Becoming tolerant, becoming quiet about the evil around us. Now, I'm not saying that we should march, um, get our banners, march all over, burn down buildings, and protest the evil that's going on around us. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we should join in with Westboro Baptist. Okay, that's, I'm not saying that. Okay, that's what we should be doing. However, should we then swing the pendulum to the other side and say nothing about the evil that's going on about us? Which one's, which one's wrong? Both. Both are wrong. Because we are to be the what to this world? The light and salt. So we're supposed to try to impact. Well, Lot doesn't do that. It is amazing to me what happens here. When we get into the bulk of the story of Genesis 19, we're talking about 20 years going by. In that 20 years, he's become, um, he's become well-known. He's become a judge in the city. He knows how bad this city is. Remember he meets the guys at the front door of the city? And what's he say? Come and live in, or come and stay the night in my house. And they say, no, we'll stay on the streets. What does the next verse say he did? He pressed them because of what reason? The evil. He knows how bad this is. He knows how bad it's, that it's taking. But what does he do about it? It doesn't seem to speak out. I'm arguing from silence here. It doesn't seem to speak out. In fact, when he makes comment, they say, who would make, who would, uh, uh, you know, you would make yourself to be a what over us? A judge. And they, they condemn him for that. And so here he is, an individual that says, okay, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to just basically to be here in town. I'm not saying much until we get into a crisis moment. And, and at the same time, now here's, here, let, me, let me just throw this out. Do we need to campaign every Sunday about the sin of homosexuality? Should that be the sermon topic every Sunday? No, I don't think so. I think there's a whole lot more things that we need to be challenged. And quite frankly, let's not preach to the choir where all of us can say, amen, that's wrong, and it doesn't affect us. I'd rather have us preach about the things that I need, okay, and what we need to be challenged in. And at the same time, should we make it clear that we are opposed, that the, not we, but the Word of God is opposed to homosexuality? I think so. 
Should we make it clear that the Bible and speak out and say the transgender movement is based on non-biblical information? And it, it's wrong. And is abortion wrong? Even though our society says it, it's allowed and it's legal. That doesn't make it right. And so we need to have a voice and be clear. And if we stop our voice and don't say anything and don't speak up, don't we make it possible for others to accept those lifestyles? And by silence, aren't we giving approval at times? And so there's got to be that balance where we say, okay, these things are wrong, and it's inappropriate, and um, we need to address it, and we need to you know, be vocal about it. But here's where it gets, if we're not careful, we can become like the world, Okay, let's, let's take his situation. Let's take the most vulgar, this is one of the most vulgar stories in my mind because I have two girls. I can't imagine this. I can't imagine this. I must tell you, though, historically, there are a couple of accounts in ancient records in the ancient Near East that this was done. He wasn't the only one. There's a couple of historical documents from this region of the world in, the, in that ancient Canaan, uh, Canaanite period that it was hosp- hospitality etiquette that if there was a danger to guests that you brought into your home or your own children, your own children are put into the danger and you protect the guests. That is not American culture. Yes? No? I think they were going to take him, obviously, but he's a chicken? <laughs> you see him, but you see him even... Yeah, I... I, I, I we know the whole story. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's giving his... I just, I'm sorry, I just don't fathom this. And I know and I understand I'm telling you that there's historical record that says this was his appropriate... Con- but whether it's appropriate by culture doesn't mean it's appropriate before God. That's where this gets despicable, right? So the world, and that's the point. The world says this is what you should do, but it's wrong, <laughs> It's immoral. You know that the immorality of this is bad. It's just, it's disgusting. It is just vile to the core. Why, my question is, why offer anything? You shouldn't, but let's, let's, let's raise the other question because you asked a good question. What are you doing in this city? Right? Why, why did you even go there? You know, what, what, were you, what were you thinking 20 years ago would happen if you put your kids in this environment? Did you think that they were going to just... I mean, his son-in-laws, what do they do when he comes to talk? They laugh at him. He lost all respect, credibility, testimony, however you want to put it. When did he lose that? When he moved there. And by the way, follow the sequence. He pitched his tents toward there. Then he ends up living near Sodom, then he ends up being a judge within Sodom, being a leader who is in the middle of this garbage, and he offers his daughters. It's just despicable, absolutely despicable. I don't know what buttons I've been hitting while I've been ranting, so I don't know where I'm at anymore. Okay, he offers his daughters. Let's, let's do this. Beware of the worldliness and because it does this. Okay, if we tolerate it, it's going to keep on getting worse. Okay, uh, it just... It just goes downhill. You end up reaping what you, 
Yeah, it's going to come. Okay. So you and I say, okay, what is lost by in, in Lot's case? There's lots of things. Let me, let me list just a few things real quickly. Because of what he does, he exposes himself. He ends up getting influenced rather than being an influence. It ends up he loses his joy. The New Testament says righteous Lot was vexed. The word in the Greek has the idea he's distressed. It bothers him, but not enough to get out. He's, he finds it despicable, but he's still there. Okay, so he's exhausted, distressed. He loses his joy. He loses sensitivity. Okay, it's just a spiritual callus that is built up, as you read in this point, where, again, you know, in verse 16, um, they're, they're telling him, this is after they're telling that, you better get out of here, you get, better get out of here. Look at verse 16. While he lingered, while he lingered, the men laid hold. Lot... Your, your, your spiritual sensitivity to sin, you're just hanging around here. These people are vile individuals. As I already mentioned, he headed towards that area. He pitches his tent. Six years later, he's living in town, and then he ends up being a judge. Over the period of time, he's just, he allowed himself to be worn down by a lack of spirit. Doesn't this scare you when you think about what we've been talking about on Sunday nights? Being careful with digital media. Can, can, looking at just a few pictures, wear you down and all of a sudden open up a new can of worms by dirtier pictures. And then it becomes addictive. And then you justify it. Okay? Can it happen with, with um, impulsive buying and going into debt? Is it easy to do that where you just, I got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, and all of a sudden you find yourself way over your head and you're justifying you, we, us. Just we we can put out a series. We got to be careful. We got to be cautious because this idea of worldliness is so influential in our lives and even as believers. And so, in his case, he loses his joy. He loses his sensitivity, and he just becomes, you know, blinder as time goes by. Some of you who wore glasses, you know, over a time period. For me, when I was in those glasses, the really thick ones, almost every year. I would have to, if any of you have been there, what would happen as time went by? Would you go to weaker or typically stronger prescription? Stronger. You became more reliant upon it. It became more of an issue. Well, that happens if we're not careful. We become less sensitive and more tolerant uh, of the sin. And so there's a lesson, there's a warning. There's a, there's a story, I thought this was fascinating. There's a missionary that's down in the Amazon area, and he wrote in his, in his story that he was there in the jungle one day, and what scared him the most were the big boa constrictors, the huge ones, you know, that are like, yes, you know, you know, 300, 400 feet long. I'm exaggerating, but, you know, you know the 20-foot boa constrictors that are big. And he, so he's in the village one time where he's working with a couple of his uh, national uh, fellow believers. And he saw the cutest little snake there on the ground. And so he thought, hey, look at, hey guys, look at this. And he started reaching down, and one of them quickly hit his hand with the stick that was in his hand, knocked his hand his way, don't touch it. And you know where he's going, right? What the, this snake was more poisonous and deadly than, yeah. In fact, they told him, and I don't know what, how to pronounce it, but the name of the snake is, you won't get home. Okay, that's what they called the snake. You won't get home. The idea, because it was so deadly and so dangerous. But his mind was, it was a little thing. It's the little things that often get us. It's the little foxes that have spoiled the vine. And so that leads us to this idea. There's a loss of spiritual insight. I find it amazing 
that Abraham, when he sees these fellas, when he first meets them, he is out of his way. He is attentive to them. He is not arguing with them in a, in a negative way of like, no, no, no. He is bidding with them for the souls of people. He's involved. He's in tune. Where is Lot when these guys come? Lot is not, he calls them Lord. He calls them lords. He calls them, he says, I'm your servant. But at the same time, he is not quick to respond to them. He is not observant. He is not sharp. And he's not like Uncle Abraham. Why is that? Uncle Abraham spends daily time where? With the Lord. He goes out and meets the Lord. Lot, not so. The sense of urgency, a spiritual urgency. Get out of this town. We already read it twice now. I read it to you. Is that they have to grab him by the hand and pull him out of the city. In fact, when they, um, when they pull him out of the city, he doesn't even want to go and flee to the mountains. He wants to go to Zoar, that we already saw. His lack of influence, where is it? His lack of influence, well, we know that his two single daughters go with him and his wife goes with him. But what other part of his family doesn't go with him? His son-in-laws, and that means his other daughters. Okay, we know that they don't have any, you know, in fact, when he's warning them, their response is, you say, yo, you're just mocking. And the people around there, when they first comes in, says, you can't touch these guys, you can have my daughters. Who made you to be a judge? And then they laugh at him. The guy loses. What he says it doesn't have an impact. You know, we got to be careful what we say. We got to be careful how we live, what we say, and being honest and being consistent. True story about a bus that was hit by a train, and they're in court, and they're asking the engine, the um, I don't know if you call him the engineer, the fellow who would wave through, you know, have the lantern and wave through uh, the conductor, uh, the trains as they was come through, and they asked him in the court. They said, you know, when you saw it, that you know, in evening, that there was this bus coming, and uh, the train, you know, did you did you wave the lantern to warn them to stop? And he says, yes, I waved the lantern. So they ruled that he was innocent. It wasn't his fault in the accident. And when I'm walking out the court, somebody over to him say, I'm sure glad they didn't ask if I had it lit. Okay. So he, he connived in what he was doing and what he was saying. You know, his credibility is gone. We have to be consistent with our credibility so that you and I don't mislead. And as a result, lose our spiritual influence. He lost it. He lost it because of his lack of submission to the Lord. Here he is. He's saying, you're my Lord. I'm your servant. And yet it was all about my will be done. I'm going to tarry. I'm going to live where I want. Um, He loses everything he seeks to gain. Have you ever seen this with people who become Christians who become very worldly minded? And then what happens in the end run? Everything they were working towards, it crumbles. It's gone. It's not there. Did any of you ever as a young person, your, your God for a period of time became your car? I'm not, am I the only one in this room? And that car became my God that I would worship with the polished rag every week and just focus on it. And all my money would go into this car and getting, you know, getting the really good eight-track player, for those of you who have no clue what that is, getting the fuzz on the window, getting the huge, the dice, you know, that were there. Any of you? Okay, I know, I really, I just dated myself. Okay. What happens to those cars? As much as you put all that energy in there, they rust. Yeah, I mean, I like the car because the back seat, the, the floorboards rusted out. It was really cool. I'd go through puddles, and if I didn't like people, I'd put them in the back seat, going through the puddles, you know. It was a great thing. 
but they don't last. And that's what so often happens. His loss, loss of self-control. We didn't read this part. We thought it was a pretty rank story already. It gets ranker. Is that a word? I mean, do we need to read what we all know what happens? They go up into the mountain, and the girls, the girls suggest, let's get dad drunk and have sex with him. We thought, we thought it was horrible that he suggested that the girls go out and have sex with those men. Then the girls suggest, how much dirtier can this thing get? How much more vile? And where did these girls get these ideas? Where did, they, where did their standards go down? Okay, somebody gave them low standards. Somebody gave them this idea that this is, this is you know, conceivable. What a bad choice of terms uh, in that whole thing. Okay, <laughs> the bad. I'm not even going to touch that. That was just that was a bad choice of words. Okay, loss of family. Loss of family. Now I'm embarrassed. Uh, Loss of family is he loses. Well, he lost who, first of all? The kids in the, that were going to be destroyed. Okay, Who else does he lose? His wife. Who else does he lose? His daughters who are rescued with him. Right? I mean, and the, and the generations after are a problem. Uh, just, it's an amazing story. It's a terrible story all about you and I being careful of worldliness. God put it in here for a reason. He warns us, be cautious of worldliness. Why? We can be afflicted. And man, it can cause us to make dumb decisions and get worse and worse. And it will rob. It will seep the lifeblood right out of our spiritual lives. And as vile as that story is, you know what is more vile? Should I tell you a worse story? A more vulgar story? the one you and I can live and personally experience if we're not careful. If it's us. Or if it's our, worse than if it's us, if it's our kids. Avoid the heartache. Stay close to the Lord. Take advantage of prayer opportunities like these next few minutes. Use them. Pray for spiritual fencing, hedging about, and purity in our own lives.